Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. This is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today for the show that is shaping the way that the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. QBAC is a next-generation advancement solution that reimagines alumni engagement to increase major planned and principal giving. QBAC acts as a force multiplier for fundraisers, enabling them to focus on what they do best, developing deep relationships with prospects and cultivating them into lifelong donors. QBAC automates the qualification process beyond simple scoring to ensure that your fundraisers have the best prospects. QBAC also uncovers actionable insights about current and future prospects to help fundraisers develop personalized cultivation strategies. Start closing bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Also, how about being our next host for the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow? I'm looking forward to two things this summer, getting back to the ballpark with my kids and getting the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow back on the calendar. If your organization would like to be a host location, let's schedule a time to chat. The Responsive Fundraising Roadshow provides six hours of the best fundraising training out there based on Responsive's four sense-making tools. Hosting Responsive's Roadshow is not like hosting a major conference that requires months of planning and all types of resources. All we need you to do is provide us with a safe learning environment for 25 adult professionals in your community who want to understand how highly effective fundraising really works. There is no cost to your organization, and we will reimburse you for all related expenses. If your organization would like to host the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow in your community, reach out and let's have a conversation today. Hi, Kevin. I am delighted to have you on the Fundraising Talent Podcast today. We have had, uh, I think you and I have known each other for a little over a year. We've never had the pleasure of having lunch or coffee or sat in a room together. Uh, I do look forward to that uh, now that we're getting on the other side of this pandemic. Uh, but um, we have had a number of conversations and uh, certainly exchanged messages and so forth on social media. We've had some technical difficulties getting here on the podcast, but here we are, and this one's going to make it all the way through. Uh, I'm delighted to have you here, Kevin. You just come off of uh, family vacation, so uh, <laughs> let's let's hear who you are. Tell us who you are, Kevin, and uh, and then we'll jump into this conversation. Yeah, Jason, it's so great to be on this podcast. I'm a longtime listener and I enjoy um, all the conversations that you have um, with your guests. I enjoy um, the the new ideas that you're able to create with your guests. Uh, you really think on your feet when you're talking uh, with your guests and you, you draw new ideas out of them. Um, and uh, 
and you're not afraid to disagree with people and you're not afraid to have them disagree with you and, and you welcome it. So it's really such a fun, consistent podcast to listen to. Um, I like to listen to it mostly while I'm doing my hobbies, such as watercolor painting or chores like um, mowing the lawn or, or washing dishes because I don't like to listen to it at work, you know, because it's so stimulating. It, it draws me away from my work and it gets too much in the mix. So I, I like to take my downtime and that's when I listen to um, the fundraising talent podcast. So what do you so, do? Uh, what do you do, Kevin? What do you do in the world? So me, yeah. Have... So let me tell you about me, my favorite topic. Uh, just <laughs> kidding. Um, <laughs> so I am the owner and president of a fundraising consultancy which I named Contributed Line. And I founded the company in 2018 after a decade of wide-ranging successes as a development officer in higher ed, the fine arts, and human services. And my company helps mature nonprofit organizations with special development or fundraising projects that need an outsider's perspective or that falls outside the realm of the bandwidth of their internal development staff. And my company also helps small or newly founded nonprofit organizations create long-term fundraising strategies, apply for grants, prepare proposals, and create the infrastructure for maximized philanthropic support. So I'm a generalist, but if I had a specialty, I would say it would be grant application writing, grants research and developing annual fundraising plans. So Kevin, we invite our guests to come on here and you've, you know, the routine, we ask them to come on with a big idea or bold opinion. Um, we don't necessarily uh, ever ask necessarily what that is. Um, and we let you sort of tee it up. So what do you got for us today? Yeah, I suppose I should also mention that I, that I happen to live in Omaha, Nebraska, but I am happy to, uh, and enjoy working with um, clients nationwide across the fruited plain of this great nation of ours. Um, I don't necessarily uh, uh, work only with uh, Nebraska-based organizations. I, I work, um, in, you know, with clients across the country. So my big idea or bold opinion today is a new approach to events. Um, and I think as we're all um, thinking of a post-COVID world or a world where there are some controls on mitigating COVID, um, we're thinking about Zoom events in a new way as we all have been living on Zoom for a year. Um, but we're also thinking about how we want to establish uh, new traditions in this, this world of ours. <clears throat> and... Um, recently, I've, I've been writing about something I call the anti-small talk event um, or a convening event. Yeah. And I've, I've written an article about this on my website, contributedline.com. And um, I've also presented on this topic with my uh, professional associate, my, my, my friend, my colleague, uh, Jessica Jansen Wolford, um, who is a uh, senior uh, vice president of development at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. And she's had a 
great career working in several roles uh, where she has had to um, host convening events as well. So the two of us kind of um, started talking about this concept and, and turned it into an article and we turned it into a presentation. Um, and it's a way of introducing this concept to the greater conversation about fundraising, specifically events-based fundraising, um, because I think that there are a lot of events happening in our sector um, that are not necessarily doing all they can um, and that are extremely time-consuming, but not really serving the host organizations as well as they can be. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, so specifically, what is a convening event? Well, it's an event where you gather people with a professional interest in your mission, um, in your topic, and you gather them together and you create an atmosphere for unscripted conversation among the attendees. Um and this is not just a good time in and of itself. It is also building deep friendships with people who have the interest and capacity to give. We're talking about working professionals, uh, some of whom are in hopefully in leadership positions um, that are in a position to um, write checks uh, in the amounts of $1,000, $5,000, $10,000, um, for uh, help with causes that they care about um, and just creating an, un, an unscripted serendipitous hour yeah. for people to have conversations with strangers and nothing to come out of it. It doesn't need to turn into a committee. It doesn't need to turn into an action plan. It's uh, in the spirit of a networking event but so much more focused than any chamber could provide because you, the listener, you're, if, if you're embedded in a nonprofit organization, um, you have the clout to pull the business community together in an unbiased way um, where you're pulling them together to talk about a topic that their business intersects with. So whether your nonprofit serves homelessness or the autism community or cancer or singing or um, gosh, pets, uh, animals, um, <laughs> nature. Yeah. There's a lot of associations that professionals belong to, but I, I guarantee that you as a nonprofit have an angle that can bring people together in a cross-disciplinary way to have new conversations that they've never had before professionally, and they can bring their needs to the conversation, just like we do at networking events and parties and all the things that we missed doing in 2020. Like people are so ready now that they're vaccinated and COVID is on the run. People are so ready to start spending $5,000 on a weekend at the big convention in Vegas or New Orleans or San Diego. So ready for those days to return 
because what happens in those rooms is completely unpredictable and serendipitous. Yeah. You get to finally meet the people that you have been reading their work and seeing them online. Maybe you've tried to connect a few times on, uh, on zoom calls or through email, but, um, but when humans get together as sophisticated as we are with, with digital communication, there's still a great serendipity that can happen in a physical room or even the breakout rooms in the zoom <laughs> where it is completely unscripted and you can, you can get what you want as a business person from that other expert across the hall or, or, or across, you know, several so, industries. So, so let's go back to the, let's go back to the sort of the, the, the root cause of the idea. So you're calling this the anti-event. So, so in, in the, your the mind, anti-small talk event, I'm sorry, yeah. anti-small talk event. Okay. So the purpose isn't the anti-event. Okay. So I, I, I got that. Okay. So this isn't anti-event. This is anti-small talk. So, yeah, so and I, what, I named it that to get people's attention. I wanted to get people's attention and say, what, what, what does he mean by that? So, you know, uh, you know, I, I enjoy small talk. <laughs> yeah, this, you know, we, we, I think we all do at, at, the, at the right moment. Um, you know, but I, I think it's uh, a, a popular thing to say. Of, uh, I don't know how to make small talk. So that, actually, so that's actually, actually, yeah, I, I think I think that's courteous for you to say that but i don't know that we do enjoy (laughs) maybe maybe that's the flaw and maybe that's sort of what you're getting at kevin is that is that we don't enjoy small talk and when we when we organize these events is part of what you're saying that when we organize these events there's just so much shallow conversation going on whether it be at the banquet table or even some of the information that we're getting from the platform up front sometimes we're getting sometimes we're getting highly scripted you know super politically correct <laughs> you know um stories that are so you know safe safe and well crafted so as to not offend anyone in the room um maybe we're getting on the other right. side of that and Ab- absolutely and is the that kind of what's going on here may- yeah, absolutely. And the events make a little bit of money or maybe even a lot of money in ticket sales and sponsorships, but they do nothing to capitalize on the fact that you just gathered a hundred people in your name or, or yeah. in, in the name of your organization. Do nothing to capitalize the fact that you just get that 50 people took time out of their day or their evening to pay the ticket price and show up on, on your behalf. Yeah. And they walk away and say, Oh, wasn't it interesting to hear that guest speaker speak? Okay, that that was great. I just saw the guest speaker. Um, or that was a good game of golf. Or I'm glad I got this cake from the bake sale. Or I really got a deal on that trip to Hawaii from the um, silent auction. But in a week, in two weeks, they don't really remember the mission or the or, or the message of the host organization that, that pulled people together. How many people um, in your mind, Kevin, how many people, because I'm totally right there with you and I appreciate that you've, you're sort of branding it this way. How, how many people are at this event differently than the, are we still, I mean, a lot of my clients, for example, have a decade worth of, if not multiple decades worth of history organizing 
you know, galas and golf tournaments that can easily involve hundred, a hundred or if not hundreds of people. Um, I remember the, you know, the gala when I was in, when I was in Washington, we hosted a gala for the health charity that I worked for up in, up in New York every year. And I think there were probably a thousand people at that thing, but there was no doubt a lot of shallow conversation going on. Um, shallow, small talk. How many people do you envision at this thing? Well, I, I don't, uh, you know, actually I do have some numbers. I would say that, uh, you know, depending on your zoom capacity in the digital realm, um, I think, uh, and, and depending on your physical capacity, if you want to have it outdoors or indoors and what kind of, uh, interesting space you want to use as, as your host, um, space, I think it's gotta be over eight people. Um, and I suppose it's got, it needs to be less than about 50 or 60 people. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, this is a, uh, you know, this is a, a unique event and it can, uh, it can easily be, uh, it can easily turn into, um, an open house or it can easily turn into a friend raiser. That's an infomercial. And that is not what I'm talking about here. Um, you know, there are uh, plenty of friend raisers where we invite strangers to listen to our message and listen to, um, what we do and get to know the organization and the board members bring friends and that's cool, but it's still one way. And, and that is what I'm trying to get away from. I'm trying to propose events where the guests are the stars. Um, and that doesn't mean that we need to do a lot of um, expensive or, or white glove treatment for the guests. But yeah. the guests get to meet each other and talk about what they have in common with your organization and each other. Um, so I got this idea when I was working with an autism uh, related organization and every year they did a carnival um, and a 5k run. Yeah. And the deal was that they would make a lot of money in ticket sales and they would make a lot of money in sponsorships and each sponsor would get a table and not every sponsor would use their, their table at the event. Some of them were too busy or they, they just wanted to support the event financially and didn't necessarily care about um, meeting the um, attendees, but many of the sponsors would get tables and uh, they were, and they worked in some kind of industry that interfaced with the autism community, such as occupational therapy or swim lessons, or a dentist office that was particularly uh, welcoming to um, patients on the spectrum, um, and even an attorney that specialized in disability law. Um, so um, my first time, my first year working with this organization, um, I expected to see sponsors show up, sit at their tables, and interact with the attendees, the families, the people who were doing the running in the 5K, and the people who came inside the arena to attend the carnival aspect of it. And what I saw was something very interesting. I saw the sponsors wanting to talk to each other. 
but the room wasn't exactly set up for it. <laughs> and it was a busy, uh, it was a busy event. Um, but as I looked around, I thought, oh yeah, these people have no way of ever getting together. They're running their business um, and they're in their industry, but the lawyer that serves um, uh, clients with disabilities and the occupational therapy who, er, therapist who's taking a different approach to autism, they have a lot to learn from each other. They're very curious about each other, but how are they ever getting in the same room together? This is, you know, this is a really unique day for that. Um, but we've got all these attendees around and it's a very short time frame, and we're spread out across this huge room and there's the arena. So I wondered, uh, coming out of that event, I wonder, could I... Uh, could we put together an event where um, the common theme was autism, professionals who work in autism, and and what can we learn from each other? And I wonder if I can make this event worth it in the short term by charging um, an uncomfortably high ticket price, but not too uncomfortable, um, but also capitalize on the unique status of the host organization, the, the nonprofit, you know, one of the, the client, um, as the kid in high school that 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 hosted the party. Now I, I know that you might not know what I'm talking about here, but it's like the power of, of being the host uh, when you're in high school and you happen to have a really cool house, or you happen to have really laid back parents that will let you have a big party, or your parents go out of town all the time. So you're not that cool, but you've got this cool house venue, venue for parties. And then you invite all the popular kids uh, to uh, your house for the party. And then it happens again next month and the month after that. And all of a sudden you're getting uh, mentioned in the popular circles and you're climbing the ladder of popularity in high school. Right, right. Is now... I'm the, the, the dad of three daughters, and I'm definitely not encouraging them to climb the popularity um, ladder in high school. So I'm not, I'm not saying that that's a good idea. But um, there's a lesson from that about the power of hosting and, and what hosting uh, can, can do for you if you're bringing people together and just allowing them to be themselves and, and meet each other. Perhaps even providing a page handout or some prompts in the in the chat that say, here are some icebreaker questions that you can talk to each other. I know it's weird to talk to strangers. Here's a sheet, here's a prompt of how, of a question to, to ask each other and see, see what you learn. And that gets them going from there. So you're, you're coaching them, but you're also shutting up and allowing the serendipity to happen. Okay. So I have seen, I think that when you and I talked before, I I, 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 I have seen, uh, when you and I talked about this before, I was uh, sharing with you some of the, some of the ways where I've seen these types of events sort of orchestrated. I think the two outcomes that, so you've got this audience that shows up, they want to have more meaningful conversation, more substantial conversations, but are we raising money? And if we're not raising money, so that's the sort of the organization, the hosting organization, their expectation. Are we raising money? And if we're not, when are we raising money? But the flip side of that is, 
is I have seen individuals get stirred up in these conversations, very meaningful, substantial, you know, meaty conversations. And what happens is, is they, you almost provoke them to want to sort of change the world in brand new and innovative ways because they've just had a conversation with eight people around the table. Yeah. Um, And yeah, they get inspired but then you've set that expectation. You've created that venue for them to do that. And um, is there an expectation on your part, Kevin, to actually go and and facilitate that? I mean, because then you become a facilitator of change, but you become a facilitator of change in perhaps directions you didn't know were going to come from that table. You've got this one rowdy table that just had this small group conversation over in the back and they literally perhaps have reinvented your organization. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know, I know what you mean. Um, and, And I think that, um, that the word is town hall. That is what you want to avoid it becoming. You don't want it to become a town hall where yeah. you have um, attendees um, talking to the host and saying, you should do this. Right. What about that? Right. No one ever does this. It, it's incumbent upon you. Um, I think there is um, some, there are some mechanisms you can use to, avoid this becoming a town hall. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, we can talk about that, you know, next time, but there's some good, you know, defense mechanisms to prevent this becoming the, the a big focus group on your organization. I mean, the, the, the focus should really not be on, on the organization. Um, if people have ideas that they want to um, enact after they um, attend this event, that is great. Right. It, it might be incumbent upon them to to do that. Um, but um, you're hoping that um, people are walking out of that day um, just feeling enriched and like they learned something. So um, in our in our few minutes that we have left, Jason, I, I want to. Um, lay out like a schedule of what a convening event would look for. And it's really quick. So you um, invite eight people that, and you make them agree on a date. It's like, it's like, you know, which of these dates works for you? And then yay, it all lines up where the eight must attend people are going to be there. And you say, okay, yay, at least we're going to have eight strangers talking to each other that I know will want to meet each other and they will bring their best selves to it. And they won't worry about the $30 um, admission fee and they'll get a coffee and they'll get a breakfast burrito or whatever you serve in your, your city. Right. And it's, and you know, it's going to be good. You got the eight people and it's going to be a, a great conversation. And the psychologist is going to learn from the education person and the education person is going to learn from the cop and the cop's going to learn from the dentist and, and all the lines are going to go in all exciting directions. And then you have your date. So you invite as many people on top of that who can uh, make that date work for themselves. And then hopefully you get 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 people. And it's going to be a great room or a great Zoom room. So then the date comes 
and you welcome everybody. You start on time and you say, hello, thank you. This is about you all meeting each other. The chamber could never do this. The chamber just has their networking coffee event and it's for everybody in all kinds of businesses. So you've got people who have nothing in common and who don't have common goals, all just meeting each other and good things can come out of that. This is more focused. We know that you care about this common topic, whether it's autism or gun control or, or, you know, affordable healthcare, whatever the focus of your, of your mission is. And what can you all learn from each other? We just thought it would be valuable to have you know each other and then let them go for 45 minutes. So very brief introduction, maybe a little point about your mission statement yeah. Then let them go for 45 to 60 minutes. And then at the end, if you can stick around, let's go around the table. What did you learn? Um, so maybe at the beginning, you should have an introduction, you know, take take 10 minutes to say, hi, I'm Kevin. I work at Contributed Line. Hi, I'm Jason. I work at Responsive Fundraising and a little bit about what you do and then let people talk to each other. But at the end, it's in in 30 seconds, let's go around the room. Angela, what did you learn? Carlos, what did you learn today? And they say something and it's great. And then get people out of there on time. And hopefully they're taking a brochure or two, um, or if it's virtual, they, they have some kind of link follow-up. Thank you for attending with links to forthcoming events. And you've given them uh, a very, um, organic, serendipitous, unexpected, um, inspiring experience where they feel connected to a community, which we all are looking for in 2021. And then you have made a friend who will be more warm to the idea when you call them in a month and say, we have our X event coming up and we would Love to have your support at the $5,000 level. Are, do organizations, I have long believed that organizations needed to be these types of places. Like I think in some ways we miss the idea that, um, we miss the idea that Starbucks, for example, Starbucks knows how to be the place yeah, my, the third space. Yeah, the third place. My my daughter knows how to my daughter know my 13-year-old daughter knows that Starbucks is a place to convene. And so Kevin is part of the challenge to 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 facilitating conversations of eight or eight hundred that nonprofit organizations, regardless of what their mission is, we don't have an integrated portion of that mission that says we're supposed to be these convening sort of places. I don't know that this is natural. And and I don't know that what you're talking about is a natural inclination for the average mom and pop charity in your community and in mine, because they're so damn focused on the mission at hand that they don't see that the byproduct of doing what you're describing is part of the way that they get that mission done. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's, it's, you could call it corporate uh, advocacy. Yeah. You you could call it anything, but (laughs) they don't, 
They don't see that if you become that Starbucks knows people in my seminars and on the pod and who hear listen to the podcast know that I'm I, I, I I'm not so much an advocate of Starbucks as much as I think they've got their business model down and I think they have for several decades. Starbucks knows that if my 13 year old daughter learns how to belong, quote unquote, belong at Starbucks, they indirectly sell a hell of a lot of coffee. And I don't know that we as charities have learned that if you can create places to convene and where your donors and other people in the community belong, quote unquote, belong, or maybe they don't see it as their business to create places where they belong, where those people belong. Um, the indirect result would be that you'd get more responsive, you know, that you'd get a more responsive donor when you make that solicitation over the phone three weeks from now. I don't, I don't think they want to make that investment. Yeah. Oh, but you know, it's, it's such an easy investment to make. It's so inexpensive. What what I'm talking about. Um, It's the cost of breakfast and it's the cost of staff time period. Uh, there, there's no cost of, you know, creating a Ritz Carlton style experience with a huge table of silent auction items in, in the way that we think of events now. And perhaps there's an even better um, ROI on this convening event because they're truly. Oh, I, cultivated. I, I agree with you. I agree with you 110 <laughs> okay. percent. I agree oh, with so, you 100 so, percent. But it's yeah. not that 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 that. that and you've got as many of these organizations in Omaha, Nebraska, as I do here in York, Pennsylvania. You've got a charity that's right down the street that their mission is to do X, Y, and Z. And mm-hmm. if you can't predict for them, if you can't give them a direct route, not the serendipitous route that you and I believe in, but if you can't give them a direct route that says A plus B equals I've got more money in the bank, they're not going to want to do it. Um, yeah, but it's, it's so great because you build these, <laughs> you, you build these, uh, these friendships, uh, that are so, um, organic, um, of people who have the ability to the ability and the interest to, um, to support your organization for a very long time indeed, um, at a significant level. Um, but maybe you only know about them because, you know, these, uh, you know, professionals and, and these business owners do have capacity, but they're not showing up on the radars of, uh, uh, you know, the traditional um, community leaders of foundations and yes. extraordinarily wealthy individuals. Yeah. So so the, the ROI is, is really that you're making friends with um call them midpoint donors, but they may even be more than that to you because, um, because when you don't have to compete for, um, dollars, uh, for, for gifts, um, from it, from an inundated foundation or a inundated philanthropist, um, life is is so much easier. Kevin is part of what you're advocating for is part of what you're advocating for is the fact of the matter. And we had a guest on here, I don't know, six weeks ago. Uh, Carl is his name from South Carolina. And we were talking about the indirect route to raising more money. And, and you're in some ways basically advocating for the same thing. Is part of what you're advocating for is to actually say to nonprofit executives and board members and even fundraisers themselves that if you'd put money on the back burner, you'd actually raise more money. 
<laughs> yes. Right. I mean, isn't that and, and do some of these executives realize when I think of a guy like you and I've gotten to know you a little bit, do, do some of these do some of these people realize that at some point Kevin's going to basically start up a charity of his own? Perhaps <laughs> he's going to start a charity of his own. And because he's got a better sense of how to raise money, he's going to do stuff like this. Um I, I think organizations that are good at this do this anyway. And I think organizations yes. that aren't good at it aren't necessarily inclined to take your advice. I mean, I think that's the, I think that's the tension in the idea is that the organizations that would do this and do this well, don't, don't necessarily need Kevin to encourage them to do it. <laughs> and the shops that you're probably trying to convince to do this, shoot, man. You'd be like pulling teeth because they can't see the ROI. They don't. They don't. They don't see. I don't oh, know that Jesus. they see it. What a what a dim view. What a dim view. I I, I believe that there are people listening to this podcast. My who job is to idea. get you. My job is to get you stirred up. So you, can, you said <laughs> it. You 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 listen to the podcast. I stir yeah. you up. You make a defense for that <laughs> poor struggling nonprofit executive in Omaha. Um. Let's hear it. I mean, how do you, it's, am I right? Here, here's the question. Am I right? Is it the, there are nonprofit executives who are community leaders who know how to commute, who knew how to convene conversations of this sort, but I'm guessing that your aim here is the executive who doesn't know how to do this. Um, yeah, as, as well as, you know, picking up on your, your Starbucks comment, um, yeah, if, yeah. if your organization does not have a cool, welcoming lobby, that's okay. I think you can um, find a space and people will still remember that um, it's, it's you and, it, and it's your organization. Maybe your organization has no office, um, but, you know, I think it's worth the... 250 bucks of renting out a um, the back uh, a gathering room of a, a restaurant or an, a, you know, so, some cool, memorable house or gathering place in your community, or as I've said, you know, zoom. Um, and the church, the church has been, I mean, we, we've watched this for the last two decades, you know, a lot of your, your mega church movement of the 1980s and 90s, a lot of those yeah. same churches have now evolved into, uh, they've all got, you know, they've all got coffee shops that sit out in the, uh, you know, that are attached to the foyer. And, uh, and, um, and there's people who actually show up on my, on Sunday, my dad and I would be the two sorts that we'd rather sit in the coffee shop and listen to the pastor who's preaching perhaps in the big giant, gymnasium next door auditorium next yeah. door um, yeah and we're just as present it's just we're present in a place where we feel like we belong rather than a place that we perhaps don't feel like we belong yeah yeah um so so it, it, it's about who you're with you know uh yeah. so whether whether it's a hotel ballroom that you have to rent or um some nondescript um uh restaurant banquet room. Um, It's about being in a community of of people that really are talking about the same thing, people that are um, talking about what you care about from an angle that you have never uh, considered. Um, So um, 
So I think that's really the, the value of this. And I think that um, if I were um, selling this idea to a, skept a skeptic, um, I would talk about the short-term ROI. I think it's there. I think that um, your local chamber um, is hosting networking events for an uncomfortably high ticket price, and they're doing quite well with it. And I think yeah. you can ask the same. Um, I, if you've got eight true believers who don't mind parting with 30 or $40, for a couple hours uh, of networking and a breakfast and knowing that the money is supporting a good cause, I think that is within the realm of a reasonable consumer experience in America in 2021. The, um... it, doesn't seem it doesn't seem like it. You know, I think there's a voice in everyone's head to say, who would pay $40 for a breakfast? you know, we, we've got to make it more accessible than that. So, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's 30, maybe it's 25, but I think that that makes people take it seriously and makes people feel good about supporting the organization. So there is a way where this event, even if it gives you nothing, which it won't, it will give you great leads and great blooming new friendships. Yeah. It's still profitable in, in the short term. So I, I feel like I'm going to owe you a nod in the new book. So I'm writing the conclusion on this book that I've been talking about for quite yes. some time. Hey, and, it wouldn't uh, be a talent, a talent fundraising talent podcast if we didn't get a mention of the forthcoming book. So yeah. thank you for getting that in. The, so one of the things I'm talking about, Kevin, is the Emerald City. And I think these special events that we historically have created. Uh, so the Emerald City, uh, when Franklin Baum was writing The Wizard of Oz, yeah. The Emerald City was basically uh, the the Chicago Expo, the World's Fair in, in okay. 1893. That's all it was. He was basically, and and what he's when he's what he's inadvertently sort of communicating to the world is that the Emerald City isn't real; it's fake; it's temporary. And I think when you think about, so let's get this to your point here. I think a lot of what you're saying, Kevin, is is that. I think a lot of what you're saying is, is can we facilitate places that are real and permanent mm -hmm. instead of places that are short term and temporary? Because, you know, I, I think we're creating a lot of emerald cities in our sector um, and you create this beautiful banquet hall with 500 people, but it only lasts a couple of hours. And the more important thing is, which I think is ultimately what you're getting at. Because it, it's not so much about the venue, but it's about the permanency and the long-term nature of those relationships that perhaps the uh, pandemic reminded us that were more important. Um, I think what you're getting at, the angst, the angst or the what we missed, what we missed during the pandemic was those in it was not whether or not we got to go to the Gaylor golf tournament. It was whether or not we actually got to have communications that we've cared about for a really long time. Yeah, yeah, the the unexpected joy of of meeting someone that you can provide value to and someone who can provide value to you. Whether that joy comes from friendship of of you just, you know, meet someone who's going to become your friend or if you meet someone who's buying what you're selling or who can provide the service for your business to make your business stronger. 
Yeah. Or yeah. someone who, who also cares about what you cared about as a philanthropist, but you thought you were the only one. So, so, I mean, you, you, you know, the, the joy of that is, is uh, something that, um, that we have been missing unless we've been very savvy with our, our what we put on our calendars with the zooms uh, with the, or, or whatnot. But, um, but yeah, I love, um, you know, all, all humans, the, even introverts, Jason, even introverts, uh, you've got, enjoy it in smaller doses. You, you, you have your fair share. So in my local community and Omaha is a slightly bigger town than where I live, but you have your fair share of what, what I would refer to as sort of that lucky list. You've got that lucky list of the upper echelon of society in Omaha. How are you going to, how are you going do, do those people want to attend this event? It, or perhaps, I guess the better question is, and I can totally, I can totally make, I can totally help you make the case, but I'm, 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 I'm certainly wanting <laughs> you to do that. Um, are, are, do they want to attend this event more than they want to attend that worn out gala or golf tournament? The, the, <laughs> yes. the, the upper echelon of the society who gets invited to literally every gala and golf tournament that you can possibly put on the calendar. Um, uh, yes. Um, but perhaps more importantly, I think the, um, upper echelon of let's say community leaders or lucky list, as you say, um, they want to know that it's happening because, um, the philanthropists that I know, um, care a lot about self-sufficiency. They care a lot about organizations that know how to help themselves, um, and organizations that know how to, um, broadcast um the good that they do in the community and to build community and and to build organic support so even whether or or not um an uh, an overscheduled philanthropist wants to attend this event they want to know that it's happening because they want to see that you're building community and that you are building an organic pipeline of support for yourself i Know that would delight any philanthropist uh, that I've ever oh, met. That's interesting. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, um, oh, I can't remember the two authors' names, but they wrote uh, in the Seven Faces of Philanthropy the uh, the the one personality that they most, you know, forty nine fifty percent of the people that they profiled in there they referred to as communitarians, and that's exactly what mm-hmm. you're talking about. I remember uh, okay. Mr. Appel here, one of our wealthy philanthropists who died, I don't know, uh, four or five years ago. I remember when we started a Rotary Club, we started a happy hour Rotary Club, uh, myself and a dozen or so Rotarians 10 years ago. Um, and he never showed up, uh, you know, um, but he as a true, I mean, he was probably the best example of what these authors would have referred to as a communitarian. Um, he totally appreciated that we were doing that and we were doing that. And that, yeah. the interesting thing, what he appreciated Kevin was the venue, you know, it was a struggling little uh, Italian restaurant that we used their banquet hall that sort of sat off to the left. And he really appreciated that we were using those spaces. Yeah. Um, rather than, uh, you know, the typical, you know, we didn't go out to the suburbs and use a, you know, a franchised TGI Fridays type of location. We use something that was, um, part of the, what he saw as part of the community. I have to imagine that's part of what you're seeing as well. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think that's how major donors uh, factor into this equation. Yeah. I think it's a it's a great thing to share um, with major donors that that it's happening, or and then after they don't attend because <laughs> they're overscheduled. Yeah, um, that it happened. That it was uh, a, a great day of people making connections. Um, and it's showing the self-sufficiency that they want to see so that they can feel good about the next $50,000 check that they write to your organization. Yeah. Yeah. What about the, uh, before I let you go, what about yeah. the, what about the people that the organization serves? I don't, I don't, ha- I can't imagine there's no reason. I can't, I can't imagine there's any reason why I, I think of the, the school that I worked for before I started consulting, um, you know, we were, a we were a school that was very committed to bringing primarily low income children and their families sort of, I don't know, up the ladder is probably the worst way to put it, but that's, that's essentially mm-hmm. what they did. Um, and, um, you know, gave them the highest quality education they possibly could, but having a, a student, you know, in our seventh grade class for seventh, eighth, ninth grade class, I certainly would have wanted those students at this table that you're describing as well. Um, well, Jason, I do, I do want to keep it focused. I do want to keep these um, events focused on, um, on what support, what supporters can do for each other. Um, and I would want to, you know, keep the, keep it pretty uh, focused but yes, I I believe that clients uh, have a have a place at the table. Um, but you know, you do want a, a level of intimacy at this event. Um, so yeah, I haven't really I haven't really figured out the, the the perfect formula for how to involve clients in these um, events, other than the the events that I have been a part of definitely did, did include clients. Um, and, uh, and the clients got a lot of value out of them and, and the, um, the paying attendees also enjoyed the opportunity to connect directly with clients. So, you know, that's been, that's been part of it. Um, just because the organizations that I work with are, you know, have a, all have strong volunteer, uh, constituencies that have helped with the event production. So, um, I, the short answer is yes, clients are included in this. Well, I think you're, I think you're skeptical CEO. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's go back to where we were 30 minutes ago. I think you're skeptical CEO who cannot see the value in this or can't see the predictability in this because you're selling serendipity, you're not selling predictability here. Yeah. I think if you're trying to I think if you're trying to help him or her connect the dots, I think they're going to be sure as hell more likely to jump on board if they see that young person that they happen to serve in their program, you know, whether we're talking about the the school or the boys and girls club or the you know, the after school tutoring program, the more that the more that young person is perhaps there. And then that doesn't have to necessarily be a young person. It could be somebody, you know, it could be an adult who just needs to be sort of quote unquote mainstreamed into the community. Um, 
I don't know why they don't, they wouldn't need access or benefit from access to the group of eight people around the table, convened around the table as anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I absolutely think clients have a, a, a place in this and maybe to not include any clients would be um, suspicious. <laughs> right. Right. So, so that, yeah, there, there's got to be uh, some people that have benefited from the missions who would identify as clients of the of the organization. Um, and Kevin, I, I you've um, you've written you've written you've written them. you've written an article on this. Uh, you've done some uh, presenting on this particular concept. If somebody's listened to our conversation today, they're interested in what you're talking about. Perhaps interested in. Uh, working alongside you, uh, you providing some coaching on how to make this sort of thing happen. Um, how would you suggest that they reach out to you and talk to you about that? Well, I encourage them to uh, check out my website, contributedline.com. Uh, from there, you can find the right Kevin Mahler on, uh, on LinkedIn. I think if you search Kevin Mahler on LinkedIn, you're going to find, uh, you know, five or six guys, some of them who live uh, near you in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Kevin Mahler. I'm contributed line. Um, and, uh, you can use, um, all forms of communication to get at me, including phone number and, uh, write me a letter, um, whatever works for you. But I, the place to get started is contributedline.com. Hey, Kevin, it has certainly been a pleasure. I've enjoyed getting to know you. You're always welcome back. Awesome, Jason. I will be back. Thank you. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent challenges our ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.